All right. Well, I am very glad to be able to have you have people in the room. Like this is uh, pretty awesome. It's pretty amazing. Uh, we are in chapter 17 of the book of Revelation. And uh, so if you'll just open your Bibles there or your phone or however you prefer to do that. But uh, Revelation chapter 17. Uh, I just want to give you just a couple of words uh, here before we get into this chapter of encouragement. The first is this. Uh, let's just enjoy being together. I realize it's different. I realize that uh, uh, there, there are things you're not used to doing. Um, uh, so we're kind of having to sort all that out, and we're kind of figuring it out as we go too. Each week will probably be just a little different as we try to find uh, better, more efficient ways. Um, it's different having uh, kids in the room, but that's okay. I mean, this is the deal. Kids, kids sometimes make noise, but we love kids, and so if you're going to love kids you're going to have to love the noise that comes with them. And so that's an awesome opportunity uh, for us. And it's just great also to just see kids in there with their parents. And uh, Wednesday night was awesome. I was actually, I think it was you guys Wednesday night. But uh, uh, anyway, your, your daughter was on the floor with her notebook. And as Tom's teaching, every time the slides would change, she would write down the information. I was just thinking, man, this is pretty cool to just kind of see families together like this. So uh, yes, it's different. But it's just a different type of beautiful opportunity for us to worship together. So uh, let's try to be joyous and enjoy that. All right, we're in Revelation chapter 17. We've been following this book now. This is the 17th week. Uh, if you don't count Easter, then you have to add some more weeks in there for that. But we've been taking it a chapter at a time and um, trying to focus in on the point. And the point is this. Uh, this is the, the revelation of God's plan for all of creation. This is how he's going to bring it all together uh, in the end. This is how he's going to tie up uh, the bow at the end of the thing. He's going to take all those loose ends and he's going to tie them all together at the end of this book. And sometimes we make the mistake in the book of Revelation of getting so focused in on trying to, to figure out what every single detail means that we actually miss the point of the book. And Revelation 17 is uh, one of those chapters where that can happen. Uh, we're going to be introduced uh, to two new creatures, well, one new creature and one repeat creature, as it turns out. Uh, we're going to meet uh, a woman, and she's riding on a beast, and it's going to be this vision that the Apostle John is going to see. Now, we've met the beast before, I believe, in chapter 13, uh, but the woman is new to us, and there are uh, probably more interpretations of who that woman is than you could possibly imagine. Uh, as I started doing my study this week, I decided I'm, I'm tired of seeing all these different interpretations. I'm going to figure this out. I'm going to be the guy. Out of all the people in all of church history, for some reason, I thought I was going to be the guy that was going to figure this out. Uh, and what I figured out is all those different views, boy, I can kind of see where they got that. Uh, it was really interesting as you start just listening through uh, all the different views. Of course, some people think that this will be a restored city of Babylon. Some people think this will be uh, a restored uh, Jerusalem that this, she's going to represent. Uh, some people believe that she's going to be an economic system. And so obviously this has got to be capitalism or socialism, depending on what side of the spectrum you're on. And so you accuse the other side of being the problem. Uh, some people believe that this is a new religious system. Uh, and so I've heard this taught that she represents the Catholic Church. I've heard it taught that she represents the uh, Islam, that uh, she's representing all of those things. Uh, then there's this idea that uh, she's representing some uh, city or kingdom that hasn't yet come into existence but will in the future. 
So there's all of these ideas, and then there's kind of uh, some more overarching ideas that, well, she's not representing a specific city or a specific economic program or a specific religion, but she's representative of all those false religions that are out there and all of those uh, negative ideas that the kind of behind the scenes, kingdoms and principalities behind it all. Um, and I, I think as you go through this, you can kind of pick this out where they get kind of some of these different ideas. Uh, I remember when I was first a Christian, uh, I was told, and this was not like, this is my opinion, I was just told flat out that Revelation chapter 17 and the various kingdoms described there in the beast, that's the European Union. There was just no question in 1995. I just remember that being very clear. I was being told in the early 90s, that's the European Union. And there's, you know, there's going to be these 10 countries, and there's this whole concept there. Well, now they've got like 27, 30 countries involved. That kind of blows their 10 out of the way. But these things just kind of change over time. So let's not get caught up on that detail. Let's read through the passage and see what the point of the passage is. That's what we want to go for. So to kind of help that and uh, to kind of keep that feel for those who are watching online, I will be uh, putting these guys on the spot uh, but I'm a little nicer today. I've decided to actually give them the questions and the answers in advance. Uh, in the past recordings, I was having fun seeing them kind of stutter as I th- would send a question to them, but I thought that's kind of mean to do in front of people now. It was, it was fine in front of a camera to be mean, but in front of people, you shouldn't be mean. So, um, Hey, Dave, would you do me a favor? If you could move your microphone just a little bit that way so I can see the Romanos. Ah, oh, that's better. <laughs> Hi. <laughs> Looks like I can see everybody over there. Okay, I feel better now. Um, so Revelation chapter 17, uh, and it breaks down like this. The first six ver- ver- verses is going to be a vision of a woman on a beast. And then verse 7 through 14, uh, an angel is going to describe the mystery of the beast. And then uh, in verses 15 through 17, we're going to find out uh, that the beast and the woman actually aren't buddies. They're not friends. They dislike each other. And then in verse 18, uh, we get our first glimpse at the mystery of the woman, and then more details will be added in chapter 18. Now, when I say that the angel is going to reveal this mystery, uh, just know he reveals it in mysterious ways. And so even after he begins to reveal things, I think there's still going to be some confusion as to what those things are. And that confusion's okay as long as you understand where this passage is taking us. So, Revelation chapter 17 Verse 1, then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and spoke with me saying, come here, I will show you the judgment of the great harlot who sits on many waters, with whom the kings of the earth committed acts of immorality, and those who dwell on the earth were made drunk with the wine of her immorality. And he carried me away in the spirit into a wilderness, and I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast full of blasphemous names, having seven heads and ten horns. The woman was clothed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls, having in her hand a gold cup full of abominations and of the unclean things of her immorality. And on her forehead a name was written, a mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and of the abominations of the earth. And I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the witnesses of Jesus. When I saw her, I wondered greatly. 
And obviously there's plenty of reason to wonder because people are still wondering today what all of this means, right? Uh, But so now we have this vision John's going to see, but it's a woman sitting on a beast. Uh, She's dressed very nicely in fancy clothes and with gold and pearls and all kinds of things. Uh, But as fancy as she looks, as nice as she looks in that sense, uh, you have to contrast that with she's holding a cup of the abominations and immoralities of the world, and she's actually drunk, but she's drunk, it says, on the blood of the saints and the witnesses of Jesus. So it's, it's, it's kind of this uh, contrast, and maybe you've seen this at like a work Christmas party or something like this, where the boss's wife has had a little too much to drink, right? It's kind of one of those situations, all dressed up and looks wonderful, but in reality, full of immorality and abominations and drunkenness. And in this case, it says again, she's, she's drunk on the blood of the saints. I just realized I'm the boss here. My wife has never been drunk at a Christmas party. I should, I should point that out. Our Christmas parties are pretty tame around here. Um, okay. So as I was reading that, I have a question for you guys, and uh, I'm going to have Dave answer this one, I think. Oh, no, Sheila's going to answer this one. Uh, Sheila, uh, what is the purpose of all this? I mean, we understand, we can see the image of the vision. What is the purpose of the vision as revealed in the passage? So if I understand this right, the, um, the answer to your question, Sean, is that he's wanting him to know the judgment of the great harlot who sits on many waters. Yeah, and so in verse 1 there, uh, it's this idea that he, he wants to show that the great harlot will be judged. And that's a, a piece that's kind of been missing, uh, that we, we constantly are wondering, you know, when is just judgment going to come for all these bad things that have happened on planet Earth? This is when it happens. The judgment comes at the end. When it's all done, there's going to be judgment. And in this case, he wants to show us the judgment of the great harlot. And, and it kind of connects to uh, if she is, in fact, the one who has been putting to death the saints and putting to death the witnesses of Jesus. You remember early on uh, in chapter, I forget what chapter it was, but early on in the book of Revelation, uh, the martyrs under the throne were asking, how long, O Lord, how long until you pour out your wrath or your judgment on those who put us to death? Well, here's the answer. It's, it's happening at this point. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be poured out on her uh, coming up. And so uh, now we do have a few things in there uh, that we want to talk about. Uh, you can understand those who believe uh, that this woman is representative of a new Babylon, because it says right here, uh, written on her forehead, it's Babylon the Great. So it seems like a pretty obvious interpretation that this is Babylon, the, 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 the city of Babylon that became the nation of Babylon has long been an enemy of the people of God. And it starts way back in the book of Genesis uh, with the city of the name Babel, started by a guy by Nimrod. He's so famous that we use that name to insult people now. We call him a Nimrod, right? And so uh, this guy helped build this city that was full of immorality. And, and we believe that's really the beginning of false worship on planet Earth, that through the work of Nimrod and that city Babel that then tried to build a tower to heaven that caused God to come down and scatter the people and confuse the language that this might be pointing back to this idea of idolatry throughout the age or maybe a specific city, Babylon, or even nation being grown back up in the end times, that there might be a new Babylon. And by the way, one of the interpretations is that America is the new Babylon. And so you can understand that just so many views that are out there, so many ideas, 
Uh, but that's where that first idea comes from. And of course, then Babylon historically grows into the nation Babylon that's going to take the, the nation of Israel, into, or the Judah, the southern kingdom Judah, into captivity uh, all those years ago and uh, before they were able to uh, return to Jerusalem where Jesus was born. So we just have kind of this long history with Babylon. Babylon is known as a, a bad actor in the Bible. This is a bad character. We're not fans of, of Babylon in the Scripture. Uh, the other thing that's nice for us here, it says that uh, she sits on many waters. Uh, later on in this, in verse 15, it'll actually tell us when it says she sits on many waters, uh, it says, the waters which you saw where the harlot sits are peoples and multitudes and nations and tongues. So when he's seeing water in the book of Revelation, he's actually seeing seas of people. He's seeing a lot of people. And so she somehow is sitting on or over them and at the same time sitting on or over this beast. So that's our introduction to the lady. That's the vision that John sees. And it's at that point that we recognize that in verse 6 that John begins to wonder greatly. Just like us, he's going, what on earth am I looking at? And now then the angel responds to him in verse 7. In verse 7, it says, The angel said to me, Why do you wonder? I will tell you the mystery of the woman and of the beast that carries her, which has the seven heads and the ten horns. So now this angel is going to begin to lay out or explain some of this imagery to us. And he's really specifically focused in on those two things, who the woman is and who the beast is. Now, the beast, we might sound familiar. We've had this same picture before in Scripture, uh, Revelation chapter uh, 13. In Revelation chapter 13, uh, we have this a description of a beast, and it's going to be that same description. So here we have a beast, uh, and it says that he has seven heads and ten horns. And when you go to Revelation 13, uh, verse 1, then I saw a beast coming out of the sea having ten horns and seven heads. And so that same picture, and on his horns ten diadems, and on his heads seven blasphemous names. And so we're seeing this is a very similar or the same beast. Now, as I read this description, I'm going to put uh, Dave on the spot for sure this time. Uh, <laughs> Dave, uh, I'm going to need you to do some higher math for us, and you guys can play along as well. <laughs> As I read through this, it's going to start telling us about kings and kings and kings. There's going to be all these kings. And so Dave's job is to keep track of all the kings. And at the end of it, I want Dave to tell us how many kings we find uh, in verses 7 through 14. So, uh, I'm sorry, verse 8 through 14. So here we go. Uh, this is the angels uh, revealing of the mystery of the beast. So in verse 8, the beast that you saw was and is, and is about to come up out of the abyss and go to destruction. And those who dwell on the earth, whose name has not been written in the book of life from the foundation of the world, will wonder when they see the beast that he was and is not and will come. Here is the mind which has wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sits. And, the seven, and they are seven kings. Five have fallen. One is. The other has not yet come. And when he comes, he must remain a little while. The beast which was and is not is himself also an eighth and is one of the seven. And he goes to destruction. The ten horns which you saw are ten kings who have not yet received a kingdom, 
but they receive authority as kings with the beast for one hour. These have one purpose. They give their power and authority to the beast. These will wage war against the lamb and the lamb will overcome them because he is Lord of lords and king of kings and those who are with him are called chosen and faithful. All right, Dave, how'd we do on the count? Okay, well, with each head representing a king and each crown representing a king, you're looking at about 17 to 18 kings. Yeah, 17 to 18, and I know that sounds tricky. You can't have 17 or 18, but it really is because it tells us there's seven kings, each represented by a head. Then it tells us that the beast is an eighth king, and yet he's also one of the seven, so he gets counted twice. And then we're told later there's those 10 kings that haven't come yet, so there's 10 future kings. So we're looking at some past kings, one of which is both the beast, and yet he's a future king, and so it seems he's reigned before and may reign again. And then there's going to be 10 other kings, and their whole purpose of these 10 other kings is just to give their authority to the beast. Now, this is where it gets confusing. This guy revealed some things to us, but what he really did was he just gave us more things to be confused by, in my opinion, right? So now we have this beast, which I think pretty much every interpretation I've heard of the beast in chapter 13 is, well, the beast is the Antichrist. The beast is the Antichrist, and yet he represents somehow seven past kings of which he is one, and then 11 future kings of which he is one. And so is he one person? Is he a system of people? Is he pointing historically? And that's where uh, prophecy sometimes gets a little bit um, confusing because there are some layers to prophecy. You can have a prophecy that can both point to one person but can also represent a future person or kingdom. Uh, it's similar to the movie Shrek, just like ogres, prophecy has layers, right? Just like an onion, prophecy has layers, or a parfait if you prefer. Prophecy has layers to it. And so it seems as if some of these things were represented in the past, and you can even see that connection to the book of Daniel, this idea of these kings after kings. That's very similar there. But then you see it being the same type of image representing a person in Revelation 13, but then it's representing 18-ish kings in chapter 17. And this is why I say, don't let yourself get confused by things. The important thing is what this beast is going to do. Uh, the beast has two things that it lists out that the beast is going to do, represented by all of these kings. But the beast has this purpose. The kings, the last ten kings in particular, have this purpose along with the beast. It says, these have one purpose, to give their power and authority to the beast and then it tells us what they will do once they have that power and authority together. They will wage war against the Lamb. That's the real deal. That's what's going on here. And so even if we can't fully understand the symbolic nature of this, we understand that there is a future war between the beast, who we saw in chapter 13, uh, had uh, been brought about by Satan. So this satanic kingdom or king or kingdom or king representing kings, satanic led is going to make war with the Lamb, Jesus Christ, which we'll see that coming up in chapter 19. 
but it's just laying the groundwork like God is bringing this about for these purposes. He's laying it all down so we can see it. Uh, But the beautiful part of this verses 7 through 14, the part we have to really kind of wrap our heads around and make sure that we grasp, is there in verse 14. These will wage war against the Lamb, and the Lamb will overcome them. That's the important part of all of this. Some people read the book of Revelation and they get scared. They start seeing all the calamity and the plagues. They start seeing all this crazy, dangerous stuff, and they get scared. It worries them. They're nervous. Oh, I don't want to be around for that. I don't want to live through that. Or uh, probably a more heartfelt, I don't want my unsaved loved ones to live through that. The story of the book of Revelation is about Jesus Christ, who is, as it says here, Lord of lords and King of kings, finally establishing his kingdom and putting justice to all those who need justice and giving mercy to all those who've asked for it. It's that establishment of his king, of his kingdom. And I love just that, that wording there. He is the Lord of lords. So no matter how many lords there are out there, he is the Lord of them. So all the lords in England, right? He's the Lord of them. Lord Vader, he's the, he's the Lord of him. He's the boss of bosses. He's in charge of everyone. He's above them all, and and even when they kind of mount their power together here, he he tells us before it even happens, even before they start to wage the war with him, it's a futile war because he will win. He's going to overcome them. That's a big reason, by the way, I place my trust in him. Since I already know that he's going to win the war, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to join the other side. I already know the outcome. I already see it. So I'm just going to trust that the God who promised to overcome will overcome. Because he's also the same God who promised to resurrect Jesus from the dead, and he resurrected him from the dead. He's the same God who brought all of these prophecies and then fulfilled all of these prophecies. He's been truthful, he's been faithful all along. So I'm going to trust him with these ultimate end times things. And it allows me to kind of take myself out of it because... Sometimes we like to judge God based on how our life is going right now. And so we look at some difficulties that we might be having. And and I'll be honest with you, uh, in my opportunities to talk to people, there are some people that have some real deal, honest to goodness, difficulties in their life. There are hard, hard things that we deal with. There really are. Sin has brought destruction, destruction to God's creation. And it's compounded generationally, generationally, generationally from in the beginning. Thousands upon thousands of years of havoc being wreaked on the earth. And it causes this ripple effect where lives are impacted and lives are affected. If I judge God based on the results of the sins of everybody else, but not judge Him based on the fact that He makes it all right in the end, I'm missing the greater part of the story. I'm going to end up missing the key that all of this is temporary. One of the greatest things for me in this uh, time of pandemic that we've had up to this point, uh, I did not react well the first couple of weeks. I was a little grumpy and I, I was using the word stupid a lot which I know you're not supposed to say that. Parents say that all the time. I was using that word a lot. 
This is stupid. Why do I do that? This is stupid. This is stupid, 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 stupid. And then Easter hit, and now I'm really angry. We can't be together for Easter. Are you kidding me? And so I'm, I'm grumpy about that, and I'm letting everything around me impact me and affect me. And then I stopped after Easter, and I said, now wait a second. Is God still in control? Is He still working His plan? Is it possible behind the scenes that He's managing and doing things that I can't even comprehend right now because I don't have the foresight, I don't have the vision, I don't even have the perspective to look at the world from His eyes and realize that there's something that He might be doing? Maybe I should chill out a little bit and say, this is the circumstance I find myself in. I've got to find a way to do better in this. How can we do better? How can I be a better pastor in these circumstances? And that's where it really kind of changed for me, where I was able to say, okay, wait a second. What am I doing? I'm standing up here looking at a camera in an empty room, preaching, getting grumpier as the sermon goes on every week. Preaching this word, nobody watching, you know. (laughs) Who's in control of that? I am. And that's when I went to everybody and said, let's do this different. Everybody else that's home, let's be at home too. And so we set it up that way. And I said, let's be happy. And here's what kept happening. As I was going through the book of Revelation, I kept finding all this happiness and all this joy in this difficult book. Here's the deal. In the end, the lamb overcomes. The lamb overcomes. That's exciting. Yeah, Patricia. Yay! The Lamb overcomes. He's victorious. That's what we're waiting for now. Let's get these last couple of verses in. And Rocio, you're going to get the last question. (laughs) So as I'm reading this, you're going to be looking for who is in charge behind the scenes, if I haven't set it up for you enough yet. (laughs) Verse 15, and he said to me, the waters which you saw where the harlot sits are peoples and multitudes and nations and tongues. And the ten horns which you saw and the beast, these will hate the harlot and will make her desolate and naked and will eat her flesh and will burn her up with fire. For... God has put it in their hearts to execute His purpose by having a common purpose and by giving their kingdom to the beast until the words of God will be fulfilled. Wow. Okay, first of all, before I get you to answer this question, I just want to explain to you how this messed up all of my interpretation. As I was reading through this, and I don't know how, I've taught verse by verse through this book before, but this either didn't click the last time I taught it, or I taught it and I just forgot it because that happens to me as well. But as I was reading from this, uh, it blew me away that the beast hates the harlot. For some reason, that didn't, didn't even click in my mind before. Like In my mind, as I saw this, they're friends. They go riding together, right? She's riding on the beast, <laughs> Like, these are, these are friends, they're buddies, they're in cahoots together, they're working on the same team, they're on the same plan. And yet, oddly enough, the beast 
hates the woman. Well, I'm going to be honest with you. I don't like her that much either. Isn't it weird that I now find myself in kind of the same position? I mean, this is a woman who was drunk on the blood of the saints and the witnesses of Jesus. That doesn't sound like a nice lady. She's a woman who got the kings of the nations drunk with immorality. Not somebody I want to have over for dinner. And so I'm okay with me not liking her. I just don't get why the beast doesn't like her. And it really doesn't tell us why he doesn't like her uh, in, in a generalized sense. It doesn't give us, let me say this, it doesn't give us a specific reason he doesn't like her. At best, if I were to guess, it would be because she's becoming more famous than him. She's becoming more immoral than the beast who's led by Satan. And when you have somebody who wants to be the worst person on planet Earth and somebody else is trying to be the worst person on planet Earth, even those people are going to hate each other. But there seems to be this hatred between them, and so much hatred, it says, uh, that the ten kings and the beast, they hate her so much that they will make her desolate and naked, and they're going to eat her flesh and burn her up with fire. That's a different kind of hate right there, isn't it? But then it tells us why that's happening in verse 17. Who's pulling the strings behind the scenes, Rocio? God. God is. What a powerful passage right there. For God has put it in their hearts to execute His purposes. Right? Remember the beginning of this? He said, I will show you the judgment of the great harlot. God is making the beast bring the judgment against the harlot. He put it in the heart of the beast. So even if this is representing the Antichrist who has been led by Satan, even in that circumstance, God can turn that heart to accomplish His will and His purpose to bring judgment on the great harlot, whoever she may be. Whoever she may be is not good. She deserves this judgment. Do you see how God's working in all of this? There's nothing that's a surprise to Him. It's not saying He endorses or accepts bad behavior, but this is something God has done consistently in Scripture. You see other places in the Scripture uh, where, in, for, for instance, in the book of Isaiah, it said that God used Babylon as a rod of iron to discipline Jerusalem or Israel, Judah. He used Babylon as a rod of iron and Assyria as a weapon of destruction. He used these foreign nations who worshipped foreign gods who did immoral things, but he used them for his purposes because God disciplines those he loves. So he used the bad to accomplish his ultimate good. Behind it all, God is even using these types of things. The craziness of this beast. But it says here, God put it in the heart's beast to execute purposes. Uh, it's possible that the beast doesn't even know why the beast hates Harlot. The beast may not even know. God put it there to execute his judgment as promised to his people for her destruction of his saints. And now verse 18, this is where he begins his, uh, his description of Babylon. He's finally going to tell us who the woman is in verse 18. 
The woman who you saw is the great city which reigns over the kings of the earth. Well, that doesn't quite answer it, does it? (laughs) It's the great city who reigns over the kings of the earth. Now, people have taken this and combined it with some other things and come up with this might be Rome or a new Rome in the future. Particularly where it says that she sits on seven mountains and Rome is said to sit on seven mountains. But did those seven mountains represent seven kings? you got to take it all together. But there is some great city that has been reigning over all of the kings of the earth. Now, um, if I was forced to pick one, I already know if I tell you which one it is, I'm going to get in trouble. But I'm going to tell you anyway, uh, just to just give you one more thing to kind of chew on this week. If I was forced to pick one interpretation... I would say that this is a symbolic representation of Jerusalem. Now, it doesn't necessarily mean it's the Jerusalem that we have today. When you look at kind of how the end times unfold and how Jerusalem kind of becomes the center of a lot of these prophecies, if all of the believers are taken out, Jerusalem's probably not a very good place. But when I started just adding these together, first of all, it calls it the great city. Well, in Revelation chapter 11, in verse 8, we're told that the great city, the dead bodies will lie in the street of the great city. Now, listen to how it describes the great city, which is mystically called Sodom and Egypt, where our Lord was crucified. The great city, Jerusalem, where our Lord was crucified. That's where Jesus was crucified. So there's a connection there. But isn't it weird that God would call the great city Babylon or Sodom or Egypt? But remember what Jesus said to Jerusalem? Oh, how how many of my saints and prophets did you not murder? And so here it says that they laid blood. So anyway, uh, what's behind this, though, is the idea that this is somehow a demonic-led situation. But it seems that so much of this is going to be centered on Jerusalem. Now, when we get into the next chapter, in chapter 18, it's going to be focusing on Babylon's uh, primary uh, monetary systems. Does that make sense? So when you get into chapter 18 with Babylon, you're going to have kind of this whole section here where it starts to describe all of these things here, where it's going to list out all the economic sides to Babylon that God's offended by. Uh, But in that, uh, please don't let that catch you up that I'm saying if I was forced to pick one, I would say it it falls more on Jerusalem. That's just me saying that's what I could come up with. But what I actually came up with is is it's not clear. And those who say that it is clear are clearly, in my mind, more proud of their understanding than they should be. Because it doesn't make it clear. I sat down and I came up with something like 37 facts just out of here about this, and not all of them together point to one particular city or place or thing. All of them you have to take, well, this doesn't quite fit that, but this does, and it's, it's just way more confusing than we make it out to be sometimes. I think that's a tendency in us where we have to know the answer to everything, and we have to know it now. So let's not miss the purpose of the passage, because we're caught up in the interpretation of the individual details. The purpose of this was that God who's in control behind the scenes, is going to bring his judgment against the great harlot who murdered, who is drunk with the blood of the saints and the blood of the witnesses of Jesus. 
That's where this all leads. So, for us as believers, a confusing section like this should still bring us comfort because the part that's not confusing, God's still in control. He still has a plan and a purpose that he's bringing to a head. Those things are clear. And we've seen those things repeated all throughout history. For those who are not believers, I'm telling you, it's time to join the winning team. It really is. I've yet to meet the person who doesn't feel like there has been immorality or sin in their life. In fact, most people that I approach, and if I ask them, is there sin in your life, most people will say almost proudly, you bet there is. Unbelievers. It just happens over and over. You don't have to walk in that sin anymore. There's a forgiveness for that sin. You don't have to pay the price for that sin if you're willing to surrender yourself to Jesus Christ as Lord. Romans 10.9 says, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord, that means he's the boss and he is the Lord of Lords, so he's the boss of all bosses. That means you're going to do the things he's asked you to do from here on out. And believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, which was the promise. If God has the power to resurrect Jesus from the dead, he also has the power to keep his promise to us that although we will die, will resurrect and be with him eternally. You will be saved from that punishment that is due because of your sins. And it really is as simple as that. It's a confession of Christ as Lord, and it's a belief. It's that simple. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I'm thankful for your word today. I'm thankful for a chance to be able to spend time in it with other people. Lord, just just so powerful for me personally to see faces and smiles and laugh. Lord, I would pray that this time will be a a time of encouragement for us. Father, I pray for those that are watching online, uh, that for them, it wouldn't be discouraging that they're apart, but uh, they would at the right time uh, return at such a time as they're comfortable, but they would still be able to have the benefit of the word, that they would still be growing in their faith. And Lord, I'm always praying that if there would be anybody who would need salvation, that today your Holy Spirit would be speaking to them much greater and much passionately, much more passionately than I have. Lord, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Close us in worship there, Dave. Amen. Turn off my mic.